password. It's okay. I'm not requiring you to look at it right now. I want to be able to ask you about it. But I specifically gave you guys access because otherwise I would have gotten in trouble for not giving you guys access. Yeah, thank you. I hadn't seen the mention on Twitter until after. He you had access me. for it before to it. Yeah, but when you told me ages. that it was some new open source thing, I actually went and read it. Yeah, because I use it. I I use the basis of it in GIF wrapped. So tell me what it is. It's it was called Static Tables. Is that right? Yeah. So the, well, currently it's called Static Tables. I'm told that this is a terrible name by him by Ben. Okay. Uh can I try and guess what it is? Yes. Go yes, for it. This is yes. this is a test of the name. It's something that lets you do tables using static cells, which you can do in Storyboard. <laughs> but you don't like Storyboards. So it's like a code equivalent of static cells in the Storyboard. I'm going to say it's better than static cells in Storyboards. Okay. What is it? It is a method for creating table views. Dynamically. Dynamically. Not static. Not actually <laughs> static, yeah. Uh, Does it use static methods? It, it used to be static. That's the reason. Like it used to be all about creating just a static table view that just worked like that, and it yep. was perfect. But it's actually the re-implementation of it is actually a lot more dynamic now. So the name is kind of terrible. It's actually pretty cool. But the I'm whole the, the whole thing of it is that you you create a data structure out of uh, what are essentially entities for sections and rows, mm-hmm. and um, you can just add you create your rows you add them to a section you add your section to a data source and then you implement the data source as the data source for your table view yeah and um you can do things just you can basically just add a row to a section and it will magically appear cool and animate into place and all that sort of stuff if oh, you want nice. to um you can remove the row and it will magically disappear if you add a row that's in another section, it will remove it from that section and add it to the next section and animate it. Oh, awesome. On top of that, that's a lot of code. Yeah. Of well, this is, this is like I've reduced it, it to like a, lot of code. a very small amount of code in the actual implementation for this. And to be honest, I never do table views properly because I've seen all of like Apple's sample code and it seems somewhat involved. Like, like you've got uh, an underlying data source that has some state and then you've got the state of your rows in your table view and it's kind of like um that it seems like from their sample code they expect you to do the work to keep the two in sync you know like if something's added to your underlying data source then you should do the insert row call Mm -hmm. right so i am often too lazy for that and i just tell the table view to reload its data and don't, a lot of people do, and, that, nice and that's why you and see a lot of table views that they just they do they just when something changes they just jump to the yeah. new new thing. And I've done that before. Like that's it's just because it is super easy to do it. Yeah, and it means that you don't have to. And and the do opposite is not super easy. The opposite is kind of a pain. Yeah, because you've got to kind of figure out um, where in the table view. So you've got to figure out which elements of your data underlying data source have changed. Yep, where those changes are, like the index of them. Figure out the index of that row, yeah. And this all happens within the table view. You can even you can even change the style. So if you want the style to be like a uh, label next to a label or whatever it is, it's like UI table yeah. view cell style Accessory value one or one or something. Anyway, it's like this the style, and then or you want it like, and then you want to change it to be a sub subtitled one, like a sub yeah mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, it just it's just a property on the row. Yeah, cool. And then you reload like. Well, it will reload itself if you implement it correctly. Nice. And does it support it. editable 
table views at the moment no it's, that but that's only because be more of a pain wouldn't it um that that's only because i haven't bothered to actually do anything with that yet um so it will return the data source returns just no for that and no for if that can be moved mm. um but there's no reason why it couldn't it just needs to be i just need to actually go about implementing that cool awesome i'll check it out but there's actually a there's actually a bonus there's actually a bonus to this whole library right is it and does it come with animated gifs <laughs> no because that would be kind of cool. No, there's no animated GIFs. Um, but the whole point of this library for me was to create my table view preference settings screen, right? Yep. And I mean, and this is kind of part of part of the reason as to why I think it's better than your storyboard mumbo jumbo. Um, because basically, if I have I've created subclasses of my static row entity class, mm-hmm. which are things like uh, static preference, like static boolean preference, static text preference, yep. um, static select preference. Yep. That's all. That's the three of them that I've created. That's cool. Um, so what they do is they're rows that you can insert into a table view um, by, by adding it to this data source thing. Um, and they will automatically render the correct uh, stuff in there. Yeah, that's cool. Um, but on top of that... If you provide it a key, it will actually store the value in your user defaults. So yeah, you can nice. create a preferences screen with by literally just going, okay, I want this preference, I want this preference, and I want this preference, and this is the default values for them, and go. Cool. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it's kind <laughs> of awesome. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, like, I and I built a I, I built a version of this for GIF wrap just because I wanted to make it easy on myself mm. and um it worked re- it works really well like and gif wraps just does does what it's supposed to do and it's really nice um but i wasn't really happy with the code so i decided i'd redo it and i basically rebuilt it from the ground up did you do it in swift no <laughs> oh that's no. the next one right I w- well i want it to be i wanted to to be like usable now mm. so that i could Essentially, put out a new version of GIFWrap that is using it already. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not. Can you use Swift right now? You no. can't. No, you can't, you can't use apps. Swift. You can't submit apps with Swift until I uh, until Xcode six, six is yeah. out of beta. Is out of beta, which yeah. isn't going to be until when I, uh, the iOS eight comes out. Um, I'm wondering if you could trick it into it. Like, if you switched out the compiler into Xcode five, can they actually tell? I don't know, but you can actually, you can actually use Swift code in iOS seven. The it's already like I don't know I don't know exactly how they've done it. Like they've obviously put some implementation oh, bi- in. Or... No, they're binary compatible. Oh right, yeah, okay, yeah. And so Compiles you can use down. it in you can use it in iOS seven. Uh, I've got just, some Swift apps just running on my iOS seven phone at the moment. Yeah, you just can't submit it yet. Mm. So I didn't write it in Swift. I wrote it in Objective C. So. Sorry, everybody. But I am trying some. I'm going to try something new with this, right? Because most of the time, when I've submitted, like I've created something and I've decided to open source it, I've just kind of gone, "There you go." This time, I'm actually getting some people to QA it beforehand. That's cool. I think that like increases the value of the whole exercise, both to you and to the people that might use it, because you'll get a whole heap out of the feedback you get from people right. QAing it. 
um, and it will probably lead to a better code base for others. That's so cool. it hasn't been avail- made available to people to QA yet, um, except for you two, because... And I've done a terrible job of QAing it. You haven't even, I haven't looked, even at looked at it yet. I looked. Terrible. Pointed some things out. Um, but Ben, yeah, Ben looked and has, has pointed some stuff out. And I, I think that's re- like that. I mean, it may not be helpful for everybody, but it's definitely helpful for me. Hmm. Like that is making. Oh, no, I love uh, my so code better. This kind of this brings up the meta topic of code reviews. I love mm. it when I like code reviews done well. Like I find that I learn so much getting someone else to look at my code. Like, you know, lie, every single line I've written and giving me feedback. Because half the time, um, I've got no good reason for doing things the way I've done things, and half the time I'm being really lazy. And if someone else casts their eye over it, you know, I'll lift my game a little because I'll know where I was being lazy, and I'll be less lazy. But there'll be other sections where I just didn't think of doing it a different way, and someone else has a different style, a different approach, mm. which often is better than mine. So I don't know. I'm I'm kind of looking forward to seeing how that process goes for me, and I will report back. Because I think it will, might be useful for me. I think it's also very helpful for the project itself, obviously, hmm. because I want it to do as well as it possibly can. Um, so we'll see. Hmm. Cool. I'm looking forward to using it. I'm going to use it. I'm definitely going to use it. I'm going to make use of it everywhere. I don't think I'll ever write a regular table view ever again. I'm gonna keep doing static ones in my storyboards. I, yeah, you can you can do whatever you want. I I will just not ever look at your code, <laughs> or rather your storyboards. Table view is not cool anymore. It's all about collection view now. Yeah, I know, but table yeah, views are really useful it. for dropping in settings and stuff like that. Oh yeah, I know. Like I don't I don't really think, and I don't think collection views are have feature parity with table views yet, do they? There are some things like, for example, the behavior that table views have of having section headers that scroll and then what is it called? Like pinned to the top. Pinned pinned? to the top. Yeah. Recreating that as in a collection view is hard. It's like a yeah, lot yeah. of code. You've got to do a custom collection view layout um, and you've got to I'd, do... Can you even do an editable collection view? I don't think you can unless something's changed. Yeah, good question. I don't know. I've never had don't cause to do up. one. I have no idea. I'm pretty sure you can't. So, you know, table views may not be... Don't think you can do a moving one either. Like the hot you drag the stuff around. I know they do it on the home screen, but I don't think that's public. Surely you can. Surely you can make something that will let you move things around. Oh, you can do it, but it's not like you implement some nice Apple API where... No. Yeah. No, you'd have to write can your own. move object yeah. at index path or something. You'd have to write your own, I think. Yeah, but so, so I, there I you go. It's not feature parity. The collection, like table view, is still. I don't think it's as simple as a collection view will replace table view. Eventually, it'll get all the features, and you'll be able to stop using table views. I think that they're both going to continue to exist. Cause, I think they serve different purposes, really. Yeah. Like, I mean, sure, you could probably create a table view with a collection view if you, you know, if you put enough work into it. But I, I like I don't really see the point of that when ta- like when like it, it it seems like a lot of extra work to go through to make right. something. It's the sort of thing that you would do because it's kind of it helps you learn or or whatever. Uh, but I don't know that it would be actually useful in a in a production environment. So I think there are clear cases where you'd use a stick to a table view, and there are clear cases where you'd use a collection view. But I reckon there are some in between. Like say you're impl- you're doing something like Instagram, yeah, or Facebook's newsfeed. 
where you've got a mixture of content types and potentially a mixture of sizes and like it's not really a table made up of rows it's kind of like a scrolling yeah and there may be of items ipad you want to go columns as well yeah just for well actually the um the the session that i watched that gave me the uh the idea to create like recreate my library as a as a data source that's separate from a table view yeah uh which was and i'm trying to find i'm trying to find it it's in a folder and i can i can't see it behind the mic advanced user interfaces with collection views that's the one cool they use he he actually talks about in that session he talks about how he used a he used a collection view to recreate like to create a table view so that he could do things like have columns right yep yeah which that might be useful for like to have but it's and that's kind of one of those situations where it's kind of falls between the two yeah yeah so last year's WWDC they did a demo of collection view where they recreated the messages app using as a collection view yep right I don't think that was just a demo, wasn't it? Like the click the messages app in iOS seven is not actually a collection view, is it? I'm fairly certain it's a table view. This is a good question. But they did things like the um Dunno. UI dynamics to make it so that the message bubbles kind of pull seem to pull the other yeah, ones right. down and stuff. Yeah. And I think that is easier to do in a collection view than it is a table view. Hmm. Like there's stuff about yeah, animating the behavior of cells. Well, look, I mean, it's very possible that you, that it's actually worthwhile going through the process, but it seems like a lot of work. Yeah, I'm definitely. not going to be the guy to do that. <laughs> oh no, I, um, you know, but I mean, maybe maybe there is even like a, a a repository out there in the great unknown that contains a library that's recreated a table view as a uh, based on a collection, collection view. Who knows? Maybe. Yeah, because collection view gets all the love. Like what you just said, it got all the UI dynamic stuff. Yep. Table view didn't get that. Mm. Yeah. I don't has Table View had an API update since like iOS three? Well, technically it's had the API update that came out with yeah, the, it had the redesign. Oh true, yeah. Self sizing cells. cells. Yeah, so I had a play with self sizing cells. Yeah. Um they sound awesome. I love this idea. So if anyone haven't hasn't seen the WWDC sessions yet, check them out. They I think do it's sound what's awesome. new in table views and what's new in collection views or something like that. Um and on iOS eight, both of them will support self sizing cells. Yep. Um and basically from memory, for a collection view, it's as simple as saying it's meant to be as simple as saying, um, there's a delegate method which is estimated high. Estimated, estimated height. height, maybe that's table view. Estimated height for row and index path. Yeah, that's uh, that's table view. And if you implement that, it will then switch your table view into self-sizing cell mode, which to me seems like the weirdest. Mm, like, okay, because I'm using I, that I would on, have thought, on a project that I, I've created. Right. So I think it's um a combination of things. Yep. If you have, if you your data your table view delegate implements estimated height for row and index path. And your rows, your cells, are using auto layout constraints that allow them to... Or they provide a method that can be called, because I'm pretty certain auto layout isn't the only method for self-sizing. Right. Okay. Yes, you're right. But you wouldn't know about that. No, I just paid attention to the auto Mm -hmm. layout bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, I figured. Then your cells will potentially start auto resizing. Indeed. Um, 
when I tried this, I, I found it like I started using uh, my cells were in storyboards. Um, it didn't work. I pulled my cells out and did them in their own zibs. Didn't work. Uh, and then I did the cells in code and it did work. Okay. Um, so I well, managed to, fair, to get... still in beta. Yeah, I know. Exactly. Um, so I haven't even raised the radar because I'm assuming someone else has and all be fixed. Uh-huh. <laughs> I didn't do my homework. I didn't submit any radars. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in any f- f- like eventually I got to a table view where um, my rows were all a different size mm. based on their content and that's kind of cool like so, it, it should yeah it's kind of amazing it's taken this long because it should be something like well, there are so many apps that already use that yeah well I mean I've the, created an app that uses uses kind of size like size changing rows multiplex yeah. multiplex does that and it's a pain right you've yeah, got to do well, it a the lot. way that I had had to do it right was either I had to either re-implement all the code for like determining the height like I'd have to lay out my thing and mm. do all that sort of stuff what I ended up doing was creating an instance of a cell in my like in my table view collection, uh, table view controller. Yep. In the like the view did load, and then sticking it in the table view, but hiding it, like not actually putting it in like a section or anything like that. And then as you go through, uh, as it goes through and tries to get the height for each row, it would actually apply all the content from the row that it was trying to get the height for into that <laughs> into that yeah, cell. Yeah. And then that cell would so like, I think would ch- content like would change size yeah. and stuff. And then I could take the height of that and and return it. And I think that was the way to do it. Prior like to that's iOS really 8. the only you way have you like can what's do it. Called a sizing cell. Yeah, I, I don't know that it has to be actually in your table view. I think I don't know. Just have I, a... I think I put it in the table view so that I could have possibly so that it re- responded to things like editing mode and stuff like that. Oh I yeah, okay, no. maybe. Um, but yeah, so basically that, that idea way, where you're, perfect. your method, which is returning the height for the row and index path, basically gets the content for that row, sticks it in a cell to see how big the cell ends up wanting to be, yep. and then returns a number. Yep, and that's the only way you can do it without yep. having to like go either implement your code twice somehow, mm. or... Uh, or basically load each cell into memory and then release it or yeah. do something. So with it. self-saving cells is, looks cool, and I'm looking forward to. Oh, it I'm just I'm looking in. forward to using it as well. Yeah, um, and obviously it's just as not just as nice for for collection view stuff. But it's yeah, the API seems a little bit more involved for collection view. But they both table views and collection views get it, so they've both got the love. That's good. They did I'm both get the love. I just remembered another table view API update it got which was the loading cell one. They added for index path at the end of instantiate cell with identifier or whatever it is at index path. All right. That's like iOS 6 or 7. I don't even know what it does. But yeah, so they do do things on it. Hmm. What was your what was your homework again? Which radar were you meant to file? Uh, things, Swift language features that I want. I think you ended up filing yeah, I filed the ones some that I on behalf were of mentioning. They got duped. You did my homework for me. Yeah. So before nice. we already been duped. Before we go into, I think we might have some fo- some feedback slash follow up for Swift. So before we do that, let me actually do the intro that is now like twenty minutes late. Hi. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> how are you? You've been listening to Mobile Couch for like the last hour and seven weeks. This is a show where we talk about all sorts of things to do with development for mobile devices, and it is hosted by Jake McMullen. Hello. And Ben Trangrove. Hello. And myself, Jelly, a.k.a. 
Daniel Farrelly. And this is episode number 35. Wow. Wow. We're getting old. Yeah. Yeah. I say that as someone who's about to turn 35. Wow. When? August. Oh, that's ages away. Didn't you just have your birthday? Was that in between this episode and the last? That was the day that the last episode got released. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Thank you. Yay. So, follow up. That's now like three years late. Um, so last week, last episode, we talked about Swift. We did, yeah, and um, we got a bit of feedback for that. Mm. For that, that was really cool. Kyle Martin on Twitter suggested that uh, we the, there was a really good episode on tuples, tuples, tuples. Oh, Actually, we got feedback about how to pronounce we got it. Feedback tuples. About how to, no. No. no, because people said like, quin- yeah, like, like okay. quintuple, quintuple. without the quin. Uh, no, but it's not actually pronounced quintuple; it's pronounced quintuple. Oh. Well, that's what? So we were wrong. So right? that was so technically that is correct, but it's also but really it's not quintuple. You know what? This debate is not over. I'm no. not. I'm not willing to make a stand on it over what's right and what's so not. So I right. actually did my homework on this right, and I looked it up, and because. Tuples aren't actually a thing just for like in Swift. They're a thing in other languages. Yeah, yeah. It's not yeah. brand new to Swift. Yeah. And in fact, this Edge Cases um, episode, which for the, the link I will put in the show notes, which is called Tuple uh, for Your Thoughts, um, he talks about he talks about him in re- reference to other languages because this episode came out like a couple of weeks before WWDC this year. So wait, how do you pronounce it? Tuples. Like chew, as in I chew my food. Tu- tuples, chew. Well, some people pronounce it tuples, and some people pronounce it tuples. But it's I've been saying tuple. Tu- Damn it! Now I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Ben's book and pronunciation tuples? show. Yeah, here we go again. Uh, but yeah, I looked it up, and like uh, on all the sources that I could find, it's it's like pronounced tuples or tuples. Fair enough. Cool. Yeah, and so the I only think... person that I know that pronounces it tuples is Casey Liss. Sorry, Thank Casey you. Liss. But we got a tweet from someone as well. So there's two people. Yeah, who said, well, quintuple. Yeah, he said it's like yeah, pronounced. But it's, not, it's not quintuple, it's quintuple. Tuple. Oh, well, there you go. Really? Yeah, I looked because I looked that up oh, as well. Oh, man. But back because to the... Uh, I, th- I thought that as well. But anyway. The so, substance of the feedback. The substance was, of the, was, um, I think... That was feedback that we got. We <laughs> yeah, got true. feedback on how to pronounce it. We just couldn't read the Look, tweet. it's important feedback, <laughs> especially when you run a podcast where you've got to probably talk about it. <laughs> Whoever that was, I I'm going to go to the other thing, bit of feedback. though. I think this was feedback to me where I was sort of um, complaining a little bit about not being sure of when I'd use it. Right. Um, like, when's a valid time to return multiple things? Isn't it just lazy? Shouldn't you just create a data structure that's got all of the bits that you need and mm-hmm, return mm-hmm, that one thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't seen that developing perspective episode yet, listened to it, but I I'm mean, looking edge forward cases. to Edge Cases. Mm. Oh, I just mentioned Developing Perspective because it's an awesome podcast. Yeah, we like a Developing Perspective. Just because, you know, they like us. Hi, thank you. He likes us. Hello, David Smith. Thank you for the mention. Yes, very much, though. I feel incredibly honoured to be in the same list as Debug and uh, Iterate. Indeed. Yeah, that's quite probably we, not worthy. Can we, can we get like <laughs> some ex-Apple, you know, like product managers for, you know, the iWatch to come on and talk about their decade working at Apple? Because that's kind of the guess they get on Debug, isn't it? Yeah, they get some good people. Yeah, they've got a three-part thing at the moment about, um, I forget his name, I'm terrible, but he... Uh, has been at Apple for for a while and was uh, iOS apps manager. Um, wow. Well, we've had we've had uh, alternate Bin Tringroove. 
Yes, we yeah, have. Yeah. yeah, it's true. He's he's pretty important. Yeah. But that that Rusty is a bit of a podcast um whore. <laughs> I wasn't going to use that that phrase. This is this is uh, going back to getting around a broadcast. Yeah. I was trying to get at that sentiment. He's the a... he's the podcast bike. Yes, exactly. <laughs> no no need for an explanation there. Um back to the tuples. So yeah, tuples. Yep. Did you guys did any of you listen to that episode? I did listen to that. Episode. So no, could you know. explain to me uh look the uh, good Examples of where you'd use it. Honestly, like I think, I think mostly it's kind of what mostly Ben was saying on the last episode, where if you want to return something and an error, mm-hmm. um, that that's where it's most useful. The thing that you did mention last time, yeah, was the was the um, dictionary where you could return the key and the value together. Yeah, for a, a for loop. Yeah, so you could iterate over two things simultaneously without having to have nested. Mm. That's cool. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, but I mean the thing that the thing one of the things that they mentioned uh it, it was Andrew Pontius. Mm. That's his name, right? That is and Will French. And Will French. But Andrew was the one doing the actual okay. like the content yeah. because they, you know, they do tag the team where they tag team it. Um he was talking about and he was talking about it and he was suggesting he was saying how like in Coco and in Objective C we don't really ha- because we don't have tuples, um, we've kind of Blocks have kind of taken the 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 place of them. Really? I know it sounds really weird. It does. I know I'm, it sounds I'm, really I'm weird. Listening. But there's Go a on. reason why. So, in a case where you're going to do things like return a value and and, and possibly an error, what you, what people will tend to do is use a block, and so they have oh, a completion block that, that takes will take things. both things, uh-huh. and that's how people use them. Um, and well, that's that's one of the ways that people use blocks, and mm. so. The way because the because uh, that's the way that people do it in Coco, and then people use tuples in other languages. They do kind of the same thing; like they are capable of doing much the same thing. But your code structure and the way that you architect your code is going to be completely different. Mm. Um, but that like that sort of thing. So when where you could possibly be using a block that's not necessarily used for like asynchronous related so methods. To be like, I I understand that point of saying. Completion blocks commonly will take more than one thing, mm-hmm. um, but generally, I don't think I've come across an API that's using blocks that isn't asynchronous. It's kind of like you've yeah, got yeah. to use a block because it's asynchronous. Enumerate objects using honor. That's for parallelization. Yeah, um, but um, are they kind of like out parameters in other languages, which is kind of like well, our parameters are just pointers. Yeah, so some languages like C sharp, I think, has a keyword specifically for variables you want to pass to a method that you expect to be assigned a value in the body of the method. Yeah, you use the keyword out before the, the cleaner way of passing yeah. in a pointer. Um, Pointers are great. We should just stick with those. <laughs> See, to me, that kind of feels <laughs> like that kind of feels icky as well. So maybe I'm, I don't know. I think I think you need to go away and listen to this episode. Yeah, like, I was, will. like was told to you. Yes, I know. <laughs> you go away and manufacture some time as well. Uh-huh. But um, I, I think you need to go away and listen to this episode. I think our listeners should probably go away and listen to this yeah. episode because it. I, I mean, it, it's, it is very good. It is a very interesting look at what tuples are. Yeah, um, and, that and podcast... especially because it has no reference to Swift at all because it's pre-dubbed. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. So I'll go and listen to it. I'll yep. do my homework. I will. Yep. I will. Yep. Definitely. You will? You will? Maybe. Probably not. Mm-hmm. See, it's in my um, podcatcher. Is that the Catch. generic term for it? 
it's queued up. I've got it on my list. Cool. With a lot of other ones, but yeah, it's there. Um, so the other other follow up that we got in regards to this was a blog post that one of our listeners, one of our new listeners, I believe, hmm. yeah, wrote, um, in regards to features that he thought were cool. Hmm. It's actually a, like it's a good list. It's a pretty good list. I was. Did we miss any in our last episode? There was a. I think there was a couple. Um. So, uh, this guy's name is Andrew. <laughs> Everybody's <laughs> name is Andrew. This guy's name uh, is is Andrew. He on Twitter he is Drewag. Um. I that that's how I read it. So I'm sorry if that's that's not how it's supposed to be pronounced. Definitely Drewag. But I mean, obviously, he he covered a few of the similar things. He he covered like the ability to extend structs and stuff with with uh, methods and all that sort of stuff. Did you know that enumeration cases can hold values now, like actual? Yeah, actual I think we values? talked about that because we talked about the train being delayed. No, no, by ten minutes. But like, it it can actually hold like like that that they we can... had like a methods and stuff. We talked about methods and stuff in that regard, but we didn't talk about the fact that they could hold values. So you could have an enumeration that has like different API endpoints. So if you have like a beta endpoint yeah. and, a, you, yep. you know, and you could ax- you could just have the value in there as so opposed to... In Objective-C, they can only basically be ints. Basically, yeah. Uh, in Swift, they can be anything. Is that what you mean? They can hold a value. Can... By holding a, isn't that what the delayed by 10 was? No, I'm fairly certain we talked about that as a method. No, no, well, that's what I meant by okay, the train well, can be delayed and now it can also be delayed by a number as well. Right. well I didn't there get you. that. So when you do your switch, yeah. it's not just delayed, it's delayed by 10. So I think in some languages uh, like that have this feature, so Java being one, I mm-hmm. think that's used to do singletons. Is that right? Where you have an enumeration and one of the values on the enumeration is the instance of the class that you want, your single instance. That's different. And I can't remember how that works. Okay. <laughs> Because I do know all, the, all the good information here on Mobile yep. Couch. That's one of the key questions on Stack Overflow at the moment about Swift is how do I do a singleton in Swift? And I don't know. I think people have come up with a few different ways. But given that there I'm are sure no, there is probably a few different ways. There are no static methods yet. The kind of classic ways aren't supported. Cool. Anyway, I will put a link for that uh, that blog post in the show notes because cool. it's very helpful of him to provide provide yeah, that for thanks. us and uh it's it's it does is actually quite good so i'll put, put a link thank you thank you andrew and i'm wish that i'd done more swift since we last spoke about it but i haven't had a chance to i'm uh, really look i haven't done any swift since dub dub so <laughs> i so can't i can't blame you how do you do a singleton what a good question that's your homework okay lazy property you have a property on your class that is lazily initialized to itself no that won't work Sorry, carry on. Go away. Figure it out. Okay. (laughs) Not like right now. (laughs) So I haven't had any time to do Swift or anything new because I've been busy doing old stuff. Um, But one of the things I've been doing I think is interesting to talk about, um, and that's looking at accessibility. Okay. So I think we've probably discussed accessibility. I think you tried to talk about this last episode and I wouldn't let you. Yeah, probably, because it was too... Too much else to talk about. Well, you talked. You, you decided you wanted to talk about it, like at the end of the episode, yeah. which is always what happens. <laughs> well, we could, uh, we've got a bit more time now. We, um, we, we have we have like half an hour or so. Yeah, I don't think I'll go on for that long. God, I'd be quite bored of myself if I did. Please stop me before I get to half an hour of accessibility. <laughs> wake what's up, what's up. going on? I'm, I have no idea what's going on. So uh, we've recently did some more user testing for an app I'm working on. 
Um, User testing. And yeah, this is, it, I kind of find, I have a love-hate relationship with this degree of formality around user testing. Uh, part of me feels a little bit cynical of the need to be so formal about it. So what I'm talking about is uh, recruiting random people you don't know, uh, organizing a place for them to come sit down and use your app to do certain things that you've decided ahead of time, and then you watch them do those things um, and record it. So, that you so can, when you say you have a list of things that, that you want them to do... So like tasks, you know, you've got an app that... Um, Maybe it's for gift wrapped and you say, uh, imagine you'd like to share a gift with your friend uh, to celebrate the fact that your, it was your birthday. Use this app to do that. Yep. Okay. And, and so use... they would have to like figure out how to find it, how to share it, yep. how to do all that sort of stuff. Yep. Exactly. Sure. And then you'd watch and learn stuff. Um, so I'm a huge fan of testing, like user testing early and often and throughout development. Um, but I think that, bulk of the value can be gained from a really informal way where you just hand a prototype app or an in-development app to someone who hasn't seen it before and say, hey, this is a cool app for showing gifts. Do you want to have a go? And then you watch them. Hmm. I think you get almost as much out of that as you do out of a more formal arrangement. But often I think what's good about the more formal arrangement is that um, larger groups of people can uh, benefit from what you've learned. So you've got artifacts to record what happened, video and audio, and then you can write up reports about it and circulate them and people can read them. In boring corporate language. Yes. Well, you know. Using things like, words like synergization. <laughs> Is that a word? No. <laughs> the user did not I, I think, synergize I, I think the, my, the reports I write up from user testing are kind of plain English. That Digital synergization. Digital synergization. I tend Hashtag. to just write down what, what <laughs> happened and what I saw. Hashtag digital synergization. Anyway, <laughs> let's get on to the learnings. Well, actually, the, the, this brings up... A, I, I, I know we, we're, we're talking about accessibility, et cetera, et cetera, but um, this whole, the whole thing about um, user testing and getting people to, to use it early and often yep. um, kind of plays into one of the sessions from DubDub that I believe I mentioned in our post-DubDub wrap-up episode. Oh, cool. Which one's that? Uh, which, is, um, which is session 223, uh, Prototyping Fake It Till You Make It. Oh, I still haven't seen that, but you yes, need to I'm going to watch that. That is, a, that is yep. such a great... Such a great yeah, session, and I'm a huge fan of that. Of like getting something, creating something like that people can test, mm. and doesn't necessarily need to be the actual final thing, right? But as soon as you can get stuff into people's hands and watch them, if I could say lots. that I had a favorite session from Dub Dub, that would be it, right? That'll be the hmm. next one I watch. Mm. Um, but so we did some user testing. We got this is the third round of user testing for this app. Yep. Um formal user testing so the third time we've got people in a room and watched them and filmed them um this time we focused on accessibility so we got in touch with uh, an organization in australia called vision australia so it's an organization that works with people with impaired vision uh, ranging from people who are completely blind and have never been able to see in their lives to people who have developed impaired vision and still have some vision but need help seeing mm -hmm. um and through them we were able to recruit some um test subjects who had impaired vision. I think we had three test subjects, two of whom were blind, couldn't see anything, and one of whom had low vision. So um, he could see to move around 
a building, like wouldn't walk into a wall because you could right. tell the difference between light and dark, yep. but certainly couldn't read anything. Right. Um, so all three of them used voiceover to interact with their iPhones. Um, and it was fascinating. It was like I thought I knew a fair bit about accessibility previously, and I had previously done some testing with people with impaired vision and, and asked them to interact with apps and give me feedback. But actually sitting there and watching these three users um, use voiceover to uh, try and achieve the tasks that we set them in in uh, in the user testing was was really enlightening. Um, got a lot out of it. So I think all three used voiceover differently, right? Yeah, that's the thing that really struck me was the fact that um I'd kind of made assumptions about how voiceover how everyone that used voiceover would use it. Um, one of the assumptions I made was that um, most people would use there's a gesture when voiceover is enabled. Um, touching the screen doesn't do what touching the screen would normally do. Yep. Um, what it does is uh, potentially gives focus to an element that's under your finger. And then if you actually want to do what you'd normally just tap on it to do, you double tap to kind of select. or It reads out whatever you tap on. Yeah. yeah. yeah and it reads it out. Um, but there's also like a, a single swipe, a one finger swipe to the right will read out the next element, the logic, logical next one, and a swipe to the left will read out the logical previous element. Right. Um, and I kind of assumed that that was how most people navigated using voiceover, that you'd swipe left and right to sort of give focus to the next and previous thing and double tap when the thing you wanted had focus. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not how... So of these three people, they had three completely different modes of using it. Um, one did use it in that mode, and mm-hmm. as a result, got through all of the activities really easily and the app worked really well. Uh, and the others didn't use it in that mode and as such stuff that I thought should work didn't because... Um, so how how did they use it if they didn't use it by swiping? So they um, tend to trace their finger around the screen, yep. um, around sort of the areas of the screen where they'd expect to find the elements that they're looking for. Yep. Um, and then basically rely on the fact that their finger would be going across an element and voiceover would read it out to them. Mm. And that caused problems for me because um, the one of the views in this app was like a menu screen where you could select from one of six options. We'd actually arrange them as a grid, so two columns of three rows. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yep. Um, and they each uh, grid cell consists of an icon and a label, um, and then there's obviously kind of the cell background area. Yep. And I just made the label the accessibility element because I was assuming everyone was just going to use that previous and next flicking back and forth, in which case it doesn't really matter what the accessibility element is. It just reads out, you know, it's the bit that has the text. It reads out the next one that yeah. it can find. Yeah, yeah. sure. Um, and that worked fine for the user that used voiceover in that mode. Mm-hmm. But for the others who scan their fingers around the screen, um, they could hardly ever find they any of the They were expecting a table view. Because it was too small. Yeah, it was a combination. As Ben said, they were expecting, um, firstly, they were expecting a table view. So they tend to use run their finger from the top to the bottom of the screen right in the middle. Right, um, in between everything. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> so you'd be going back and, and so they wouldn't like, find and finding anything one, at all. Like, there's nothing the on the screen. And it's like, yeah. The other thing that would happen is there's another one where you can, I think it's two finger swipe down, will read the entire screen to you. Yeah. And so they would do two finger swipe down, listen that there was indeed stuff on the screen, and then get really confused when they like then went and scrolled down the middle and couldn't find any of it. Right. Because they were like, this sounds like a table. Yeah. Okay, so the question is, like, how are you going to deal with this? So I guess there's two. Um, a bigger picture thing is that I think that it's important that the layout of elements on your screen 
matches the mental model people have. Yep. And a common mental model for people using voiceover on an iPhone or people using an iPhone that can't see it mm-hmm. is a table view. It's such a common user interface element that's used throughout so many apps of a vertically arranged list of items where there's one item per row mm-hmm. um, that when you deviate from that, it it's going to cause problems. Sure. Like, you know, already your interface is slightly different from what the default assumption might be. So in the case of this app, that's a pretty big change. I think it's too late in the game to, to go from a grid to a... It should be said, list. though, you can change your app if VoiceOver's on. Yeah, you can. You yep. can detect that. Yeah, you could potentially have alternative UIs. Um, but I guess it's, it's something that we can respond to is um, making sure that the, the, like, for example, I've already made the change where in that grid now, the entire grid cell is an accessibility element. So anywhere you touch within it, it'll read out. So even if you put your finger down the middle, your finger will definitely be touching a grid cell. Uh, t- touching a cell. Um, yeah, if you're going straight down the middle, it still you still might get a little bit confused as to sometimes it might randomly get the ones on the left and sometimes it might randomly get the ones on the right. But you probably quickly figure that out. So could it be an option for you to if they're going if you've got a thing that reads the like if they've got a two finger swipe down the screen to read the whole screen, could you say uh, have accessibility say something like um, there are six cells they are arranged in a grid. Yeah, that, that's what I said, but apparently that's not good. They find that quite annoying because it slows the whole thing down. So I thought it would be helpful to put in like helpful voiceover text, but that's not from what I've learned. Yeah, there's other feedback we've gotten in the past as well. It sort of says that um that the spoken feedback from voiceover if it's too verbose then getting to where you want to get takes a lot longer. You've got to like listen. So something that I've been told in the past is just sort of front load the voice, the accessibility hint. So the first thing that voiceover says is the kind of shortest, most succinct summary of that element. And then if you want to include more detail to clear up any ambiguity, firstly, you can use accessibility traits to indicate whether it's a button or to indicate what selecting it will do, what action it will have. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you want like other descriptions of stuff to put it kind of at the back so that if people are confused, they can wait and listen. But if you know what you're doing, you don't have to wait through the sort of same boilerplate stuff to get to the actual pertinent content, sure. if that makes sense. Um, yeah, and what else? So I guess that was kind of the biggest um, thing was seeing that these three different visually impaired users used voiceover in three completely different ways. Um, and so I learned a fair bit sort of, of things to avoid next time. It was also that. the, um, we have a view that is sort of like a page view controller of cards and one on either side peeks in. So, you know, to swipe through. So a person who can actually see the screen recognizes that and swipes through them. And then it turns out when a blind person tries to use that screen, I thought it would be a problem just because they wouldn't ever know to swipe, but that turns out not to be so bad because when they keep flicking right, it reads out, and then it goes to the next card and reads that out. So that worked. But the thing that didn't work is when they trace their finger along the screen, they seem to go around the edge first because apparently everything important is generally on the edge. But when you have a card that's inset from the edge, they never find anything again. So they would always say it was very strange to have to go inside. There was a button on the card that did a special thing, and they had to use that button, and they would like move all the way around the border of the phone trying to find this button and having to come in from the edge or in the center. They tried the center as well. It's not there. 
it was in a very strange spot. Mm. Mm. Okay. And again, I think that's another case where a, a straight table view would have been easier. Yeah. Like it was a list of things, right? And it was a list that we'd arranged horizontally, kind of as a thing stretching to the left and the right of the screen that allows you to page Because it looked pretty. Yeah. <laughs> a lot yeah. of these things were for looks and then... But it turns out well, for someone who can't actually see... Look, well, looks don't matter. Looks don't matter and actually make it a lot harder. But, I mean, that, that's probably part of the reason why you can do thing, do separate uh, interface, like make separate interfaces for when when VoiceOver is activated. Yeah. yeah. I think it would be a fair bit of work to like have a completely, like a table view in one instance and a collection view in another presenting the same information. But maybe in some cases it's justified. I think... You know, one of the other things um, with that particular arrangements of things that exacerbated the problem was we had a label below that collection view to kind of explain what was in it and what order yeah. things were presented in. Mm. Um, and VoiceOver never, ever read that label. Do you have to go through every item first to get to that label? Yeah, because oh, right. it goes from top to bottom and left to right sort of in order. Um, it would actually go through yeah every single thing in the collection view before getting there. And there were as literally 1,000 things in that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can filter that list, but yeah. you know. But even like there was one, there was one exercise where to answer the question we'd set, you had to filter the list, and then there were like twenty things left in the list. Um, and if people had known what order the things in the list were presented in, it's obvious it's the first thing that gives you the answer. But if you've got to go through all eighteen or twenty of them before you realize, you know, you don't actually know what order they're in, or. Yeah, so that was a simple fix, which is detective voiceover is enabled or not, and if it is enabled, move that label so it's above the the collection that it relates to, so that voiceover mm-hmm. will come across it before it comes off across the collection. Yep. Um, but yeah, I, I I think the next step I do, if the accessibility is a major consideration at the outset, I'm going to think of sort of longer and harder about deviating from kind of more standard. Well, even just like even just some of the some of the things that you've mentioned, like today, where you have like where they were tracing their finger around the screen or down the center of the screen to try and find elements that are in in what are usually typical positions, mm. like even that is something that you can kind of take away and and think about when you're creating your next user interface because yeah. that sort of thing is. Uh, that that sort of thing is going to be important, and it mm. doesn't necessarily mean that you have to create all of your user interfaces have to be exactly like that. But I mean, you can kind of, but if you make them in such a way that they can be turned into that when mm. VoiceOver is on, that would that's makes it a lot easier for you to create an accessible app while also creating a pretty one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And also try it out. Turn on VoiceOver and see how your app goes. That's how I was developing this stuff yeah, yeah i'd same. turn it on and close my eyes yeah which is great i think i mean i think that makes a big difference just just trying it out and seeing what it feels like but i guess for the big insight here was um that not every voiceover user uses it in the same way so mm. um if if you're in australia vision australia are great um get in touch with them they can potentially we will put, put their contact touch. details or at least their, their web website yeah. into our show notes. Yep. Um, um, if you're not in Australia, uh, have a look around to see in the country that you're in if there's a similar organisation that works with. And also, if you're not in Australia, then maybe maybe uh, you, you, if you do know like who to get in touch with, you could let us know and we can provide that for, the, for other listeners who may not be as lucky as you. Definitely. Because we're all about that sounds good. Making information accessible. Yeah, and if if you yourself are a voiceover user, um, we'd love to hear from you as well about how you use your iOS device, 
and yeah. the ways in which developers because can better. We know of two ways that people use their iOS devices with VoiceOver now. Yeah. So maybe there's more. That um that two finger swipe up gesture to get VoiceOver to read oh, so all the up, elements. So up. swipe up will read all of the elements on the screen starting at the top of the screen. Okay. Swipe down will read all the elements on the screen starting from the current focus. Oh. Yeah. Um, you that's can also cool. stop it as well because I saw one of them, one of the girls doing that. She would get it to read the whole thing once and listen to it and then do it again. And when it got to the one she liked, she would double time. quickly try and hit the screen and she missed a couple of times. Yeah. Like she mistimed it. I think it was like a fallback mode. It's Her, her primary method was to trace her finger around. And yeah. if she got fed up with that because she couldn't find where she thought things should be she'd trigger this read everything to me mode and kind of go okay i get the order in which things are now and sometimes she'd just use that information to say okay something that was kind of the fourth or fifth thing to be read out must be in the middle of the screen somewhere yeah then try and select it sort of manually again and then go Mm. oh well that didn't work i'll get it to read it to me again and this time i'll double tap this would make a great game i know this is i know this is really (laughs) odd to (laughs) But I can imagine a game where it's just the. This sounds like something Facebook would do. This is. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I can imagine a game where the screen is black and the whole point of, like, using the app is to try and find the element, like a treasure hunt type thing, with the screen and it's. Cool. Kind of yeah. Like, hmm. I, I think. I mean, it's not really. I don't think it's necessarily manipulative. I think it would be really good no. to like for people to like learn what it's like to use a phone sh- when they can't see it. There should be an accessibility lab at WWDC, which is just a pitch black room, <laughs> and where they make you use your device, come in and try and figure it out. No, well, you've, you've, it's not just that you you come in and you you have to first of all find the table. Yeah, and then and uh, and then you got to find the person. You got to make sure that you're talking to the right person. Then you can get your help. Can I say um the so again. Talking up Vision Australia, one of the things that they do is teach people to use voiceover. Um, so if you're blind and you're interested in using a smartphone, you can go to Vision Australia and they'll teach you how, how voiceover works and how best to use it. And of the three um, vision impaired users that came, I think one or two yeah. of them had had the, the Vision Australia training. Um, and he was incredible. He could like Just use, one. The, use the keyboard um, to type and like get around the app so quickly. Um, I was really amazed. Like the accessibility features in iOS are fantastic. And this guy had only had his iPhone for six months um, and would, you know, Mm. be able to get in there, type very quickly. Um, It's pretty cool. So there's another accessibility feature, which is much more common in use that I used this week. And that was dynamic type. Um, Indeed. And you get it for free in a label. And the reason I mention this is because getting it for free was burning me. So we did a demo and it turns out the guy whose phone the app was on had his text size turned up just ridiculously high. And the whole, every label on the screen was pretty much truncating and broken. So I definitely recommend checking that out. But it's actually, it's really good um, to support. And labels are as simple as ticking a box to allow it to start shrinking instead of truncating. That's important mm. to do. But um, also in TextView, you can use it in TextView. It doesn't come for free. You have to do it in code. But um, but it's yeah. as simple as adding, like, uh, it, it, rather than adding, like, specific sizes, you add, like, um, like paragraph Yeah, sizes. preferred headline, preferred, yeah. Bot, so you go UI font, preferred headline. That will give you the 
Yeah, so it's they're correctly sized mm. and styled. And I noticed in the WWDC sessions I have been watching that they really seem to be pushing dynamic text. And yeah, well, I think it's part of their pushing of uh, like of making adaptive layouts. Right. And stuff so like adaptive that. layout, self-sizing cells, auto layout, dynamic text. Mm. It all seems to be coming together to sort of say, as developers, we should be less specific about the size of elements in our apps. We right. should do apps that are whose interface can change size. Yeah. Where elements within the interface can change size and where the interface itself can change size. So mm. who knows what that means for future devices? Gosh, but I have no idea. I think the message is pretty clear that, you know, those combinations of things, we've got to get away from pixel-perfect designs where you yeah. think you can know where everything appears to yeah. designs that can accommodate. Well, like, they, they, they were pushing, they were obviously this year pushing adaptive layouts, and that was kind of like a just a thing that can, they were Can I just ask, saying. why did they create a new word rather than use the word responsive that the web community use? Is it was it to differentiate this from I responsive layouts, or it, well, is it because it's a completely di- different concept? It is, it is a different concept, really, yeah. because responsive, responsive, like responsive, would probably be more akin to. Um, the it has way to that, respond to yeah. the size change, whereas the phone doesn't change size; they're just it adapts. But a web different size does, but it's really also change. like a flow. Yeah, they do the difference in flow layouts and stuff like that as well. Flow layouts are different to the absolute style I see what you mean stuff. though. I mean yeah. I okay. understand but I I think I think there is uh, I think it's an important thing. Distinction. Yeah. yeah. Um, because it does it is it does work a lot differently to just like okay I'm going to throw in a media query for this size and size. adjust it because it do, it doesn't work like that. Responsive sizing like when you're creating a web page it's about like okay at this pixel size or at this Yeah, people talk size, about breakpoints, right? Yeah, breakpoint like, of yeah. like, you know, I'm going to when it goes below 960 I'm going to change the layout wide, to a different layout. I'm going to adjust the layout. Like yeah. I'm going to move but it. But doesn't um so it responds to the different size screen. So doesn't adaptive layout kind of do the same yeah, it in does. the sense that well, you've got like um they're just the predefined spl- split view, for example. Yes, but also, but the thing is, is that it's not a specific size that does that. At no point is there a specific size. When you when you rotate the phone, so your phone in portrait mode is constrained com- width, cons- compact width, oh, compact, and regular height. And yeah. then when you rotate it, it's compact height and compact width. It's really yes. Okay, sure. Which yes. is, seems odd because no, it doesn't seem that well, odd. But yeah, but it seems. But there's no like, there's no specific, uh, right? You know, size that actually like that actually no, pertains. But, to. So it's still um, it's making the breakpoints more abstract. But you still got this yeah. concept of breakpoints where a certain set of criteria means you'll use one layout of like say for example split view controller. Mm-hmm. At a certain set of constraints, so um, non-compact width and non-compact height, whatever you want to call those, your regular, regular, width, regular, regular width, regular height, you're side by side, compact, and suddenly you're not, you're more like a um, but again, navigation like the, controller. The size detail is view. different all the time. Like the regular, regular height on the iPhone is different to regular height on an iPad. Yes. And so it's going to be different because it's the, the way that it adapts is is very is very different. It's it's about adapting to a different screen, not responding to a size. Right. So, what are your predictions for a iWatch if there is one? Do you firstly do you think do you we'll, think the we'll size changes are because of no? IWatch? I don't actually. I think yeah. didn't we cover this already? 
No, we, we haven't. About? So I, my, I think that what what I have said in the past, and I'll reiterate, is I think that there'll be different iPhone screen size. Well, a lot of people be believe that there's going to be a larger iPhone yeah. this year. And I think that's that's will happen. And I think that there probably may well be different iPad screen sizes as well. But I don't think we'll get third-party apps on any wearable that Apple do. And if we do, I don't think this technology is really applicable to it. But I was just wanting to get your take. I'm losing hope in the whole watch thing. I think too many people now have come out with one. I don't know. Apple tends to like to do things out of the blue that no one's thought of. And now everyone sort of beat them to it. I disagree. The iPod entered a market that had a whole heap of MP3 players. True. And the iPhone entered a market that had a whole heap of phones. Okay, well, they were dumb phones. No, there was well, like there was, there like, was, there was the trios, phones. there was the Windows there Mobile, was Blackberries. There was Blackberries. So I think what Apple tend to do is um, create a product that redefines people's expect, resets your expectations. But they tend to enter markets that have been around. In that case, those things have been around for a little while, and people's expectations are sort of set. Whereas everyone with watches is trying to beat Apple at their game. Yeah, this is weird because it's a, a case where... Everyone thinks Apple's going to do a watch, so they're all doing a watch. Yeah, exactly. It's like people's expectations are being set by the the, the hinted, rumoured Apple product. Yeah. And then they're judging the the smartwatches available now on the basis of what they think Apple might do. So it's kind of... you're. It's hard. It's hard. It would be really... I don't know Apple's going to be able to meet expectations because yeah. people's expectations That's what are makes so me think they're going to delay it or... I'm actually kind of interested in what they do with Beats as opposed to what they do with like an iWatch or anything like that. And I'm kind of interested at the moment because I'm kind of, now that I walk to work on a daily basis um, and wearing the headphones that I'm actually wearing right now as to, to listen to music, um, I kind of want a wireless pair. And I think we've, I, I think I, I like Beats do one and there's, they're kind of, well, they're Beats. Um <laughs> And if you if you follow me on Twitter, then I I tweeted a thing about beat. You know, what would people judge me if I bought Beats? I'm not actually going to buy Beats. Um, but there's other there are a couple of others. You've that got do three it. billion dollars. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to buy a pair of Beats headphones. Oh right. Um, I'm also not going to buy the Beats. You know because well, I mean Apple bought them, and I want to see what they're going to do with them. Um, we've actually got Dr. Dre on the phone right now <laughs> so, <laughs> to change your mind. But I'm I'm kind of curious because obviously they're going to do something. I mean, even though, even though they're not going to bring them, like they say they're not going to bring them in-house or they're not going to change up the brand or anything like that. I feel like they're going to do something. I, I don't know. I'm interested know. to see what that is. Yeah. I, I think that um, the trend towards... Uh, more things in our world having more computing power in them and wirelessly communicating with one another on our phones and our computers is going to continue. Yep. So like 10 years from now, uh, there'll be more things that we wear that have some smarts in them that have sensors that wirelessly network with stuff. There'll be more of those things in our homes, in our cars, in our workplaces, everywhere. So I think the big picture trend towards wearables is happening. Apple will have products, I reckon, that sit in there. I don't expect them to do anything immediately with Beats. Um, I feel like they like, may not do anything immediately, but I reckon that they could do something by the by September, which is roughly when they'll be releasing the the I iPhone. Think it's way too soon. The thing, the 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 reason that I feel that that might be a possibility is test flight, because test flight took 
three, four months before from between when they actually purchased it and when they actually when they announced the new stuff that they've got. Sure. So if you're talking about like a subscription music service, I'm with you. But if you're talking about hardware, I don't think so. I think they're kind of um Well it's possible that they already had something in the works and the beats yeah, is like just kind possible. of a step in the process. But I reckon their um their foray into fashion has been a long time in the making, and I think it's got a long time to go. So they hired the um, former CEO of Burberry. We've discussed that in the past, have we? I think so. I there, it's I now remember. the. It's kind of interesting because she was the CEO of a, a major fashion brand. Wasn't and, she to run the Apple stores or something? Right. So she's now joined Apple as the, um, I think, the vice president of retail. So it's kind of a, some ways a step down going from C- CEO to vice president, but it's going and it's going from a fashion label to a technology company. Um, and then the Beats acquisition as well. Um, I think I think that kind of Apple us uh, are kind of seeing that technology now and into the future is becoming more a question of fashion as well as a question of sort of processing power and technology. Well, sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think the whole wearable thing is part of that as well. So I kind of think that I don't know. Maybe this is their longer term sort of saying we're you know previously um. I think Steve Jobs described Apple as being at the intersection of technology and the uh, liberal arts, sort of understanding people and understanding what makes people tick and understanding technology and bringing the two together to come up with cool products. And I kind of think that they're kind of bringing a third thing into play here, which is the sort of fashion and I guess the culture parts of, you know, um, why we like the things we like and Hmm. And bring how, how do you think? How do you think this stuff is going to actually affect like us as developers? Like, do you think that it will affect us at all, or do you think that we're so not going to have access to this stuff? Yeah, the cynic in me says I don't reckon. I think Apple, when they introduce new categories like the iPhone and like Apple TV or whatever, for the first little while they keep it to themselves. Um, yeah, and I think this will play out the same. That I reckon, you know the whatever if an iWatch or something like that happens I think it'll be like Apple TV today where every year we're going there's going to be an SDK this year there's going to be an SDK <laughs> this year until like we've been doing that for five years in a row and we go okay it's never going to happen um, I don't know I, I, I think I'm I am less cynical about it with the uh, with the big developer focus that they've got at this point in time yeah that's fair can I explain the thinking behind my cynicism sure so I think that um, a- Apple have historically liked to have control over the the message around their products about um, that they want to be the ones that communicate to people what their products are. And they're a bit re- reluctant to allow people to change, to sort of have enough influence over people's perception of a product so that um, it's not within Apple's control. Like if things are too kind of out there and wild um, – then it's not just Apple who determines whether consumers are going to like an eye, a potential iWatch. It's, well, um, do the people who are making the custom UI themes for it have the same taste that we have? And are people going to judge our products by the raft of themes that come out, uh, for example? Um, and I kind of think that they opened up iOS a fair bit, but maybe got burnt a bit by it like it kind of has turned a little bit into a wild west like i think we we still like to those of us who do this for a living still like to think that ios is really nice 
But if you go out there into the world and see how people use these devices and the crap they install on it and the mess they make of it when they customize it, it looks horrid. Like, yeah, have you ever seen? All, gonna, like, have you ever seen a springboard with a photo in the background? That will happen. At have you guys all got a photo in the background of your springboard? Yeah. Yeah. You know, like a photo of a person or a couple or a family. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got a picture, like I've got a painting that's that's people. really nice. Minimal is it? I want to see. I, I'm assuming it's really minimal, and it doesn't interfere with the icons. Maybe I'm wrong. I have a tree. Mine yeah. is mine is Hiccup mm. and Toothless from How to Train Your Dragon Two. Yeah, you're Good you're movie. like those those you know people out there have no taste. <sighs> so no. <laughs> I can't I can't really say what's what my first uh, first two words in my mind are because well we're <laughs> broadcasting, but uh, say it, say it. Uh, no, that's a step to mark. Um, no, look, I, I think that that sort of thing is is what people like. People are going to do that regardless. I mean, people have people will buy a computer and put. Uh, put icons all over their desktop. Yes, and like I've seen. I mean, I've I'm looking at my desktop here, and there's icons kind of down the right hand side you, of the screen. You just you just but know people, that that's people why people have that, them. That's why iOS has no sea of desktop user visible like, file system, right? It's, because of the mess people make of their desktops. Like someone at Apple's gone. That's ugly. I'm going to get rid of the file system, so you so can't. I, I well, they they did a great job of that, didn't they? Yeah. In bringing in their Dropbox iCloud. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, but the the thing is, is that like people are going to customize their devices and their, their yeah. stuff, and they want to do that because that's how it is. Like that's how they want to use their devices. And I completely agree with you. And I hope that we're able to. But I guess you the cynic what? in me thinks that Apple wants to like keep the introduction of the product, so have some period after they first introduce it where everyone's perception of it is set purely based on the decisions Apple's made about it, and then at some point later they'll open it up and allow third parties to put their stuff on it too. Once it's well enough kind of established in people's minds what this thing is. I reckon we'll get kind of like custom notification center widgets now. Some very restrained cutback. Sure, you can put apps on there, but we really can't. Like they'll be super basic. Yeah, okay. That would be my guess. I'll be super excited. if they're going to limit that stuff? Yeah, I think it'll be like massively restricted to the point where it's not really us writing apps. It's more like us having a couple of buttons we can use to talk to a proper app on the phone. But you can't actually write a really custom watch app, would be my guess. Hmm. And you definitely won't be able to make watch faces. Well, look, the, the thing... Well, no, of course not. <laughs> um, the thing is, I mean, have a look at, like... Um, have a look at CarPlay. Like, we haven't been given access to that. And, I mean, that's that's a... So, what you're saying is a fair point. But that being said, CarPlay is also not necessarily out there really yet because it hasn't actually... Like I don't know if there's any cars with CarPlay in it that are actually. Mine certainly mobile. doesn't have it in it. There's the I wish it did. mega expensive ones have it, don't they? Do they have it now? Like, can you buy it? Can you? Could you go out feasibly with your billions of dollars and buy a car that has CarPlay in oh, it right don't now? Don't even get me started about cars. You can't just go out and buy a car. Drives me nuts. Get you go, to, into, you go to a car showroom and you say, "Okay, I'll have that one," and they're like, "Yes, in six months we might be able to get one, but it will have optional." So now we're something. just going to turn into neutral. We're just going to become a different podcast now. You can't actually buy the exact one you want. You just have to wait for it to be built and shipped. Yeah. It takes a long time. And all the ones, like, you can't just... It's not like going into an Apple store and say, I'll take that standard configuration that you've got on display and can I have one now? Well, cars are slightly larger than computers. So, you know, it's hard, it's hard to keep them stacked up in the back room. 
Is it? <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm I'm going to go with yes. Um, you also you, you also can't carry it home in a bag. Usually, it's carrying you home. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's generally true. how it works. Uh, but I mean, I mean, the whole, like, do you think that possibly like adaptive layouts and and that sort of thing? And I think this is part of the reason, like, we're not adapting to different sizes of windows and screens. We're di- adapting to different like uses as well. Like, like being able I f- to. I find it really hard in a car. to to imagine adaptive layout and auto layout and dynamic text and stuff being more about than just about addressing the different screen sizes of iPhones and iPads. I can't see it getting as big as an Apple TV and I can't see it getting as small as a wearable. Probably because I think the user interface for those are going to be so different. Like... Well, yeah, but that's that's part of the whole thing with adaptive layouts. Like they they are no, but ca- it's, capable it's not of just about different everything. sizes. It's about different modes of interaction. But like you, you can don't... do all that sort of stuff. Like part of the part of what they showed with, I mean, for instance, the storyboard stuff is that you could you could hide elements that you didn't want to use in certain in certain sizes. So one of the examples that they used was they had two buttons that were next to each other, and then between them, for whatever reason, they had a view that was used to space them out. I don't know why they did it that way. I guess because it was a demo and they wanted to demonstrate what they could do. Anyway, they in one of the sizes they put the buttons vertically, mm. right? And so now they've got this view that does nothing. Like and there's no point to it. So they rather than like like they hid it from the view. Yeah, but it's more what Jake's saying is buttons might not even exist in this fancy new interface. Yeah, That's exactly. Right. Might, like, like, for example, be, you some might... of the stuff that you use in an app is going to exist. Like you're still going to have, for instance, visual like visual elements. There's, it's not necessarily going. Well, you uh, might not for an well, watch. Yeah, but an adaptive adaptive interfaces don't really work when you're taking <laughs> an interface that doesn't have a screen. But what I'm saying is, even if there is a screen, I think it's going to be so different like i don't think it's going to be running ui kit maybe i'm wrong there oh i think it's going to be running ui kit i so don't apple I don't... apple tv doesn't run ui kit well that's i mean the thing is is that apple tv at this point in time like the version that we have and see and are using like the publicly available version is really old at this point oh yeah definitely like pre-ios 6 old yeah yeah but it was a different code base from like they kind of said we're writing this well, it's running user app it's running an app. Yeah. It's one big app. It's one it big is app. one big giant app. Yep. Um like that 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 actually came like that people people discovered that I don't I can't remember. It had a name. Yeah, there's a episode of some podcast about it. Mm. I think it's debug. Debug. It is debug. <laughs> Probably debug. <laughs> so look, I think we've still got macOS and iOS as distinct operating systems for for computers and and handhelds. If you want to say, yeah, I kind of think that Apple's not doesn't mind about having some sort of pretty big differences between the different categories of product. And I could, I think it's quite possible that we could see wearables and it and not be that close to iOS. And I understand that sort of stuff, but except except for the fact that they are running iOS, and I, I, don't, I don't necessarily think that it's like I, I think that eventually at some point down the path we're going to get different devices. And we're probably going to get different devices that are running iOS. And I mean... And you reckon also UIKit and such that you could actually just target a iWatch with a, with different adaptive layout rules in your same storyboard? Well, it makes sense. That actually makes... That makes the actual name make sense. 
It's interesting. And it's possible, like, I mean, I'm we already have... I'm completely willing to be completely wrong. We already have an adaptive split view yeah. controller. What's to say that we won't get an adaptive table view or like, adaptive see, this collection is where, This is where I find it hard to, to buy into it because, like, a table view on a watch, how many rows are you going to be able to see at once? Yeah. Well, maybe you like, won't be able to see What's the point of even having maybe a it wouldn't view? run well, your that's the thing. App. Maybe... Like a tab bar maybe on the phone. Are you going going back bars? to what we were talking about... Maybe going back to what we were talking about previously where we were talking about how maybe like could you write a collection view that actually displays as a table view what if what if down the track at some point we end up actually having a table view that is adaptive that's based on a collection view that adapts itself to show in a different format on a different size screen maybe and maybe in iWatch you just you'd only ever see one cell at a time maybe or maybe it would maybe it would act a little bit differently Maybe it would be but the sort of thing. Surely a watch wouldn't be running your full app. It would be like an extension. Like how Pebble and stuff works well, now. Maybe. Yeah. I mean the thing is is that I mean it's all speculation. We it cannot is. we can only speculate. But, but the thing is, is the pretty cool thing is, I reckon before the end of this calendar year, before Christmas, we will have some answers to this speculation. I can't wait. <laughs> I'm gonna go with no no iWatch this year. You reckon? That's my bet. We'll come and look at this when it comes out. And see so no, I, we'll I watch no wearable. I think we'll get something. I might get a wearable. Like I would picture maybe a, something to do with headphones. Mm-hmm. Somebody, two, somebody agrees with me for headphones. But I, I'm not still not convinced it would. But be have this you year. haven't you guys seen like um? Didn't the New York Times do a profile of Tim Cook this week? I did not read that. I didn't see that. I think they did, and I think it had talk about iWatch. Like I don't think Tim Cook they was quoting about iWatch. Everybody's talking about like, iWatch. The best is the pictures when they bought Beats and he's covering his wrist. Yeah, <laughs> Betty did that they're, on purpose. They're all covered. Well, they've all got their wrists covered except for yeah, so, except for Dre. Was it Dre that didn't have his wrist? Yeah, covered? but the problem with the, it is if you go to the other photo, they, he doesn't have his wrist covered anymore. Yeah. Right. It's just standing awkwardly. Yeah. I, don't know what to do I don't know what to do with my hands. I'm going to like cross everybody. Them over. Everybody is talking about iWatch. I, yeah, I, I don't I, necessarily think that it would be. It's going to be iWatch. I, I mean, I could quite literally see them doing something like an iFitbit. Yeah, right. So that's what I reckon. I reckon yeah. the iWatch is going to be closer to the Fitbit than it is to be like the the Android smartwatches. That's. I think it's going to. Do happen. we have to talk about Android L and the new yes, Google? Yes. Let's thing? talk about Google I/O. Are we going to do it now? Yeah. Okay, well, well, this is going to be a long episode, I guess. Or do we not have very much to say? I don't think I have that much to say. I haven't watched the full keynote yet. I, I haven't watched, watched any of the keynote. I yet. just watched read the highlights. I read I read through the the like the UI documents. All right. So I watched some of the keynote. I wanted to, one comment I wanted to make about watching the keynote. Something I noticed. Maybe this is unfair of me, and maybe I'm just picking on Apple again because I like to whinge and complain about my favorite company. Um, Google's keynote. There seemed to be greater diversity in the speakers terms of both men and women and people from different cultures speaking apple's keynote seemed to be a hope of white blokes yeah but but i would worry that google did that on purpose and picked out actual diverse people like it's forced diversity oh you reckon it's like no i think i don't know this maybe this is just playing into my preconceptions about apple but i reckon they're a bit too cupertino centric i think google's a little bit more of a global company that are willing to accept contributions from wherever they come. Yeah, definitely. But I would also bet that they they also out played it up speeches. for the cameras. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't think it's a big deal. Like, I'm not trying to say that this is. Well, that kind of gets into the argument that I think we talked about at one point regarding like 
you know, do we do we force like yeah? You know, we, do we we try to get women just because like to to talk about things because you know that's the only way that we'll actually eventually get. Um, or actually, one of the Google get. speakers at IO did mention how many women they had in the audience, um, which I thought was interesting. So they did; they were making an overt effort to be inclusive. Mm. Um, and so perhaps, but I find that interesting. I just find I kind of there was something I noticed. Mm. Um, I don't know that it. M- I don't know how meaningful it is or not. Yeah, but look, I, I just kind of yeah. noticed it. I think I think playing like I, I think that kind of plays into the whole idea that Apple is. Apple's a very proud company. Like, I mean, uh, that kind of can be taken many different ways. What I kind of mean is that, like, Apple have their ways and they kind of, like, they're they're kind of their ways and that's the way that they do things. And I I don't know, mate, uh, like, uh, are they, like, are they too... I think this is kind of moving way off topic for a developer show, but like, are they moving beyond a point like where they can continue to be like that? Maybe like, maybe at some point they're going to have to do things like, um, uh, you know, make more of an effort to get, you know, women up on stage and, uh, you know, people of people of color and that sort of thing. Like, uh, yeah, look, I, I think it would be great if um, the people contributing to Apple's products were more representative of the community that are likely to use them, because I think Apple are potentially going to miss things that they that they. Well, the thing is, is and that, I'm not like, sure that that I'm not like trying to say that they're um discriminatory that they well, have the, discriminatory yeah. hiring. And practices. I mean, the thing is, is that underneath, like people that are actually building these products and actually contributing to these products may very well be from at least part like at least you know partially from these backgrounds just because the only people that we see like there's they're a small percentage as i say this could be playing into like preconceived notions i have i'm a little bit critical of the fact that um i don't know i I think this is my bitterness i would love to work for apple but i'm never gonna my life situation is never gonna be such that i'm gonna be working in cupertino and and able to have worldwide offices yeah google can will employ engineers anywhere around the world and it seems like they have policies that mean they get contributions from men and women and perhaps they've got more flexible working arrangements. Whereas it seems like the main people contributing to Apple are people who don't, who are able to sacrifice a bunch of family time uh, and able to live in Cupertino. Uh, yeah, so young men. Look, I'll, I'll be honest, like um, working in any sort of tech tech area where you are, like where you're, you're supposed you, you you're like an engineer and that sort of stuff. Like they expect a lot of you, regardless of who they are. Yeah, and it's not it's not necessarily like just because. I mean, Apple. Yeah, sure, they're based in Cupertino, but like you you got to realize that Google are no less. Right. Yes. Exactly. Like they requ- they they expect you to give you all of your. Time. Did you guys Did you guys see the um? You know why Google do free meals and stuff? Famously, mm, well, have yeah. such great conditions is because yeah. they want you to stay at work and never exactly. leave. Yeah. Did you guys see the f- image that did the rounds of um, a letter that some kid had written to the, a, a manager at Google saying, please let my dad have some time off because it's summer and it's my birthday or his birthday or something? Yeah. I didn't see that, but oh, wow. And I think Google must have done a PR thing where they, like, it was, I saw it in the mainstream print media as like a story of, isn't Google nice? They gave this guy a week off in response to the, his kid's letter. And me reading it is going, God, what did it come to that his kid had to write to them well, saying, awful. please, I never that's see my dad. That's so awful. And the thing is, is that like, and I mean, I mean, that, that's perfectly fine. If somebody wants to go and, and become part of that community and do that sort of thing. And like, I mean, obviously it's, 
it's very rewarding. It's just, it's not going to be rewarding in the way that, like, your family is going to uh, appreciate. No, I mean, the other thing I just want to be conscious of is we don't know what it's like. No, we don't. So it could be that everyone that's working at Apple actually still gets to spend heaps of quality time with their family and they do have a great work balance of, of their life. Uh, it could be that they grapple with it and find it hard. I don't know. But I guess um, part part of my preconceived notions are that, uh, yeah, it seem it perhaps seems like um, there's a limited set of people who are really in the running for working at Apple of, of those that can be in a particular part of the world and dedicate a certain amount of time to it. Um, and then seeing the keynote, uh, the Google I.O. keynote, where I'm seeing people from different parts of the world on the stage, um, and both men and women, um, made me think that maybe, maybe this is a problem that afflicts Apple perhaps more than other companies. Look, I don't know, and I, I think it's I think it's really difficult to, and I'm not I'm not at all like let's not e- even consider the notion that I'm trying to defend Apple because that's not like that is not my purpose here, but. I think it's very, it's almost, um, it's, it's almost too easy to judge like the, like the people that are contributing to products based on the people who are presenting them. Yeah, because sure. Because like the people who are presenting them are probably people who have just overseen a certain aspect or overseen the entire project or something like that. Very high level people. We've got Chris Latner up there on stage. He's the dude that created the language. Well... Yeah, like these are, but these are. <laughs> that was a tech talk, though, or like a session. These are not That's like true. the keynote and the like the, the stuff that yeah, you're talking about the... from Google. This yeah, is it's true because there was there was heaps of women presenting presenting session. Well, not heaps. There was at least two or three. Yeah. Um, Look, I the, the I didn't mean that, I didn't I, mean to I, sort of yeah. spend so much time on this because it was it was no, kind no. of a passing observation. I, it was I just, like. Perhaps yeah. unfair of me, but it was something that struck me at least. I just think it's like we we can't really unless we know what's going on internally. Like we can't really judge the who is contributing to a pro a, a project or a product based on who is presenting a product because the person who is presenting a product is not necessarily the person who has actually spent all their time and contributed to it and do, done all that sort of stuff. They're just hmm. the guy that's produced a PowerPoint slide or a keynote slide to actually present like to actually show up on stage sure uh like i i mean and that's that's not necessarily good nor bad for apple or google it's just that's something that you got to keep in mind when you judge yeah uh, like judge them based on what what you're seeing publicly and i mean it's still not good that we're not seeing a lot of you know a, a lot of diversity in the presenting members from that, Apple. And that's all I was yeah. meaning to comment on was it was just something I noticed and it made me wonder uh is this representative of of the culture of the organization or not? I don't know. Um but moving to the substance of Google IO, I did I didn't get that far into it. Um but there was some pretty cool stuff. The design stuff looks awesome. It looks like the, It's like paper. I'm, I I Phys- oh, you mean the app paper I'm, or physical no, 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 paper? No, I mean like physical paper. Hmm. It kind of reminds me of um What's that TV show? South Park. Oh yeah, where it's oh, all yeah. it's all paper. Well, I mean, it's not actually all paper, but yeah, it's, but it know, it's all digital like it. paper. But it's it's all like pa- designed to be yeah. look look like paper laid out on top of each other, which I believe was actually the design direction. It looked, the it lock looks screen like... looks very iOS, and the rest of it looks very Metro. That yeah. was my instant impression. 
they talked a fair bit about it in the keynote about they talked about materials being the kind of word for it um it's interesting they introduced it with this this kind of um conceit where they said imagine that you're rethinking user interface in terms of what it would feel like to actually touch do you think that that could mean that they'll be having like haptic feedback? Haptic feedback. Remember well, they, they actually ha- showed like a video of um, I don't know if you've ever seen. There are some cool demos uh, somewhere on the internet of um, like physical devices where they've got these little columns of plastic or some physical medium that go up and down in response to sort of changing pixels on a screen and so you can basically get a three-dimensional very quickly like Mm. a three-dimensional shape appearing as as certain columns slide up and other columns slide down they showed a video of that in the preamble where they were talking about imagine if you know the technology let you actually feel the difference um and then they go on to introduce this this sort of new design language there's also a feedback technology that uses like static electricity to make a like a screen feel different yeah okay so you can change the so it feels like so you can have an interface that looks like you know stone and it will actually feel like stone yeah Um, so potentially like it was interesting when they first started talking about that i'm thinking about wow they're about to introduce haptics and you will be able to feel the ui elements in that explains why they want them to be different but then i think they just kind of use that as a philosophical seed for the design inspiration that yeah, led well, to something that looks like paper let's not get let's not get started on their, their terminology <laughs> for some of their design documents because wow but something that um impressed me is it looks like they're doing uh, extending material and the technologies around it to the web so they're going to have web apps with the same look and feel and the same sort mm. of transitions at 60 frames per second was it I think it might have been accidental tech podcasts. So I, I think ATP touched on that, like ATP just discussed. Yeah, I think uh, they did Google I/O uh, to to some extent. And I think they might have touched on like the the fact that I mean that um, they have like Google has a, a kind of uh, Google has an investment into that's not the word I want, but that'll do the that'll do the job. Google has an investment in making the web work right an interest is it an interest interest a vested interest vested interest uh because i mean like obviously like they want it to work because most of their stuff is is web based and that's how they are like that's how their systems work they've got web apps and their whole their whole thing is about bringing web apps to devices and making devices that yeah so their business model is get that as many people to look at their stuff as possible so you got more opportunities to serve ads to them and make money from advertisers Whereas Apple's business model is sell stuff to people mm-hmm. that they're going to like. And so Google are, are obviously going to be more interested in making stuff everywhere work well because right. everywhere you're going to get more people looking at it than stuff specifically on one hardware platform. Hmm. And I mean, and it kind of, it kind of, if you think about it in that way, like it actually kind of makes sense that they do things like the the flow style layouts and mm-hmm. stuff where you, where you create your user interfaces and it's, Based on XML, I'm making yeah, yeah. this stuff up, but I think I'm right. Um, like you're using XML and you, you like your stuff flows as as opposed to being you know okay, this is in this point and it's this mm. big. Uh, like that also that all makes sense from like a web perspective because that's how you mm. build stuff on the web, and so like it, it's it's kind of obvious when you think of it that way where they're a web based company like they they have web based services and it's all about trying to get people to use their services so that they can serve people ads mm. and having devices and stuff like that that all 
have a similar feel and all you work working that kind of responsive fashion makes a lot of sense for a company mm. like that. And, uh, I'm, I'm I mean it's kind of like the 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 visual aspect of it aside like the actual design work that's gone into it aside. I think this is I think this is probably a good path and I, it'll be interesting to see. I did think the the buttons at the bottom, the PlayStation like buttons, triangle, circle, square. Yeah. Very much relies on the fact that you know what Android buttons do. Yeah. I thought it would make it very hard for a new person to like know to go back. How do you go back? Well, the thing is, is that like, for instance, I mean, I mean, PlayStation buttons, eventually you get like people get an understanding for that sort of thing. Like you generally know. Like, I think it takes a long time. Hmm. I've, I'm very bad at console games and part of it is struggling to know which buttons which. I suppose I, I don't know I like I I I honestly haven't like haven't obviously played with one very much so I couldn't tell you. Well, they just um the traditional Android phone has a back button, a center button, which is a home button most yep. of the time, and what was a menu button, which brought up a menu of options. Mm-hmm. So they switched that out for a triangle for back, which looks triangle. Is it a left kinda, pointing triangle? Yes, left yeah, pointing okay. triangle. A circle for home, yeah, and a square for I think it's called the context button. So the menu button used to be a square with lines in it, like it a hamburger icon. Kind of, yeah, looks like a hamburger <laughs> icon. Delicious. Um, so yeah, they switched them out for generic shapes. Yeah, mm, but now they don't really, unless you know how to use an Android phone, you would look at them and think they what were nicely stylized Android icons. Mm. But if you just pick one up, you would never clue. They're yeah. just shapes. Interesting. Hmm. So I'd like to see how that works. I guess we'll see. The other thing I really liked to look of was um, they talked about having animated transitions between activities on Android, which seems kind of nice. So iOS is kind of playing catch up with extensions, um, allowing your app to parts of the functionality that sits behind your app to run in different contexts. Um, Android's always had that with uh, activities that you can switch from. An intense. An intense, yep. and you can switch, so an app can consist of a bunch of activities, each of which are kind of independent of the others, and you can go just straight to one. Uh, I think, was it you, Ben, that would talk about the example of the video player? That Yeah, you yeah. can switch in whatever video player you want. You just, your app says, I want to play a video, and other apps can register to say, I can play videos through Intense. And so you can okay. put the video player for whatever you choose. You like VLC, put, you load it in VLC. And right, then, and so that activity in that case is the playing video, and it just appears in the context of like I've selected something that can be played. The video player appears, and then it disappears and goes back. Um, and the idea of having an animated transition between them, so that they could have interface elements that are persistent across two different activities, and so it kind of seamlessly animates from one to the other. Um, looked kind of cool. Yeah, that does sound cool. Yeah. Um, it's kind of, I, d- I didn't see any of the animation related stuff. Which yeah, because I didn't actually watch the keynote. I just read the documents. I haven't had any time. Which, I mean, in iOS, like, it's challenging enough to animate the transition between view controllers if you're doing a your custom thing yourself. Mm, it yeah. often involves rendering a bitmap image of some elements on your screen and then sticking them in an in- image view in the destination view controller and animating it around and then pulling it off when you're ready. Mm-hmm. Imagine trying to animate the transition between two separate apps and have, like, the you leave one app and the entry point into the next app kind of make it look like you just yeah does that mean you have to do it like 
I know I'm going to go to this app now. And so you I don't do, know. Like, do you have to do a different one for so every app you could possibly go to? The only bit I saw was during the keynote where they kind of had like a 10 second. Oh, and we we're introducing animated transitions between activities. And they showed it and it looked cool. <laughs> but there was no detail in the keynote uh, about possible. how to do it. It's possible that there's like some sort of API where you pass, pass an item and, and one, of the, one of them takes care of the actual transition. Yeah. Probably the, uh, the one that you're going to as opposed to the one you're going from. I think the example they showed was like between built-in apps like Calendar and Dialer or Contact, well, Contacts that, and Dialer. That would be I the ones that, are, that would be the ones that are completed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was interesting. Mm. Well, if anybody would like to read about any of the things that we have discussed today, and there are a lot of them. There are a huge amount of them. Uh, so if you would like to read about any of them, we will stick links for you to tap or click. Ask your thingy to read to you. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of lost where I was going. Well, with you were trying to go voiceover, weren't you? Yeah, I was. Yeah. yeah. So, you, but either way, you can you could have either that I, either you could read these things or you could have them read to you, and uh, you can find them on our website. The website it is mobilecouch.co forward slash thirty five because that's the age that Jake turns in August. Yeah, I'm getting old. <laughs> it's like so many months off. Now, if you would like to get in touch with us, you can do that as well. Uh, we have a web page where you can fill out a form and send us an email, and that is at mobilecouch.co forward slash contact. If you would like to get in touch with us individually, you can do that on Twitter, because we like Twitter. And we're still on Twitter, even though we... And it still exists, right? Uh, app.net's no more? App. Disappearing? App.net is around. It's just, it's been... It's basically dead. It's basically It's being dead. sunsetted. Basically. They're, they're, like the developers, they're not, it's not in active development anymore. If you'd like to get in touch with us on Twitter, individually, you can do that. Ben is at Ben Trangrove. That's B-E-N-T-R-E-N-G-R-O-V-E. And Jake is at J McMullen. That's J-M-A-C-M-U-L-L-I-N. And I am at Jelly Bean Soup. Thank you for listening. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you to all the people who are joining us for the first or second time. We look forward to talking to you all again in two weeks' time. We will see you then. Bye. Bye. Bye.